This evening we're thinking of Christian discipleship and love uh, from Mark 6.53 to the end of this chapter. Hugh Binning was a Scottish philosopher and theologian. He was born in 1627, was minister in Govan, Church of Scotland, just outside Glasgow. His collected works were published by his successor in that Govan congregation. There are two fascinating features about Hugh Binning. One is that he only lived till he was 26. And this is incredible that he is remembered within Scottish theology as influential, outstanding, and gifted. And this point emphasizes that our life does not have to be long to be effective for God. The other striking feature about Hugh Binning is that in the large volume of his collective works, there is an outstanding passage on Christian love. He was renowned, young though he was, for his great eloquence. But all reviewers and and writers and reflectors on Hugh Binning recognize that in this particular section on Christian love, his eloquence is outstanding. And we're coming this evening to think of this. Christian discipleship and love. Coming to the last of our studies in Christian discipleship in Mark chapter 6 and 5, we have seen that these chapters are a handbook on Christian discipleship. We have noticed six aspects of Christian discipleship and we'll notice the seventh this evening, love. We've seen Christian discipleship and Jesus, Christian discipleship and rejection, Christian discipleship and mission. Christian discipleship as we saw this morning and sacrifice. Christian discipleship and development in the the feeding of the multitude. Christian discipleship and trial in that storm on the sea. And now Christian discipleship and love. This set of miracles which is recorded in this part of Mark's gospel, happened around the Lake of Galilee. It concludes with Jesus returning to the western side of the lake, to Gennesaret. Jesus was not so welcome on the eastern side as we saw in a previous study when he cast out the demons from the man in Gadara. They desired that he would leave the eastern side of the Lake of Galilee and he comes over to the western shore, to Gennesaret, to that region about three or four miles long and one mile wide on the western shore of Galilee. And here in this paragraph we have a a summary of Jesus' extensive healing ministry in this area of Gennesaret on the western shore of Galilee. There are few proper nouns in this paragraph. The names of people or villages and towns are absent from this paragraph. Here is the third summary in Mark's gospel of Jesus' extensive ministry in regions around Galilee, showing us that the work of Jesus involved far more than is recorded in the Gospels 
for us. In this compressed, concluding, brief paragraph, three principles about Christian discipleship emerge. Our love is for the unexpecting. Our Christian discipleship love is for the unimpressive. And our discipleship love is for the unresponsive. Let's think this evening and imbibe into our hearts and then live out in our lives Christian discipleship and love. Firstly, our love is for the unexpecting. The main point of the phrase in verse 53, they came to land at Gennesaret, is that this was not the intended destination of Jesus and the disciples. The ship which Jesus and the disciples were in was blown off course in the storm and they arrive in Gennesaret. And our love is for the unexpecting. In 6.45 we, we read, Jesus made his disciples to get into the boat and to go before him to the other side to Bethsaidae. That was the destination that he sent the disciples towards. And as they set out, they wanted to reach Bethsaida. But they ended up at Gennesaret, blown off course by the storm. Bethsaida, as we saw on the map, is northeast of the Lake of Galilee. Gennesaret is northwest in the Lake of Galilee. Our love is for the unexpected. Gennesaret lay eight miles southwest of Bethsaida, the intended destination of the disciples. And Jesus emerged from the boat and the people recognized the man of love and power and grace. And in the marketplaces, the sick were laid out in the towns and cities and villages of Gennesaret, that four mile long by one mile wide, extremely fertile area of ground as we saw in the photos there, people were arrayed so that Jesus would express his love and compassion and mercy towards them. They didn't expect Jesus, the miracle worker and preacher, to be among him, but they grasped this opportunity and with great alacrity and speed and ingenuity and creativity, they clamored to bring the sick within the arena and vicinity of Jesus the miracle worker. Though Jesus did not expect to be there, he helped them with his love and grace and compassion. Our love is for the unexpected. 
The parable of the Good Samaritan has taught us this, among many other aspects of truth, hasn't it? This man setting out from Jerusalem to Jericho, anticipating the destiny of his journey, being Jericho with his friends, his business, his family. He did not expect to find need on the road, on the journey that he was in. But having found the need of this injured, bruised man, he reached out in love to that need. And Jesus, do you remember, ends the parable of the Good Samaritan with these words. You go and do likewise. You show love to the unexpecting. And sometimes we are just landed in a situation of need. A person falls in front of us. An older person gets on the bus and there's no other seats available. A child cuts her finger. And we are faced with many options in that situation You don't have to stop and help the fallen man. You don't have to give up your seat on the bus. You don't have to help the needy child. The fallen person is getting up there on their own. They're big, they're heavy, they're smelly, they're managing fine. The prospect of standing on a bus when it's stopping and starting to give someone else your seat is not a a welcome uh, prospect. Caring for a child that has been careless in dealing with sharp things could be dealt with in various ways. But as disciples of Jesus were instructed to show love to the unexpecting. Probably all of us are surrounded by people we did not expect to be surrounded by. Perhaps for some of you coming into this congregation, this has been a surprise for you. You never expected to be in this congregation. Perhaps you never planned to live in the house where you're now living. Perhaps you never planned to be in the job that you're now doing. Many of us perhaps have been blown off the course that we thought we would have followed. And we're surrounded by people of unexpected need. As Christian disciples were to reach out with love to the unexpecting. And one of the most challenging things for some of these disciples uh, coming to this unexpected place, Gennesaret, was for Peter and for Philip and for Andrew. Did they have enough space in their heart for the unexpecting? You see, Bethsaida was their hometown. And you can imagine them when Jesus says, you go off to Bethsaida there in the boat, we're going home. We'll see our wives. We'll see our children. We'll see our home. We'll see our families. We'll see our friends. We're going to our hometown. And in that storm, you can imagine them at the oars, being driven on and and upheld by this thought, we're going home. We'll soon be there. And now uh, we see in in verse uh, number uh, uh, 54, they got out of the boat. in, In 53, they moored the boat to the shore. They did that with some relief, but they also did it with some regret. They were not home in their town, in their village, with their family. 
And sometimes that's the challenge for displaying love to the unexpecting. Not only are the people not expecting our love, but we also perhaps are not expecting to show love to others. We're caught on the back foot and we've suddenly got to rustle up within us that Christ-like love to those in need. You've had a hard week. You turn up at church. You're looking forward to your roast dinner, to sitting down and relaxing with your family, and there's unexpected visitors in the service. What are you going to do? Are you going to ask them for lunch? Is your heart big enough for that? Will you just go home, enjoy your family and your food? As Christian disciples, we're called to show love to the unexpecting. Secondly, our love is for the unimpressive. The language used in this paragraph indicates that residents of Gennesaret were among the poorer classes. They were not impressive people who were rich and powerful. They were not the movers and shakers of their nation. The location was in North Palestine. It wasn't Jerusalem. It was quiet. It was rural. It was dominated by farming and by fishing. But it was a location renowned for its beauty. The rabbis called it the Garden of God. They called it Paradise. Josephus describes its fertility and beauty. Grapes, figs, walnuts, rice, olives, wheat, vegetables, melons were grown in this strip four miles long by one mile wide in Gennesaret. But however, as in most cases, the riches of the land were owned by a few. And most people were farm laborers, fishermen, poor, working class. And this sense of poverty and working classes is indicated by the phrase in verse 55 that they carried the sick on mats, on beds. The term means pallets, mattresses owned by poor people. Thayer in his Greek lexicon explains the word as a camp bed, a rather mean bed, he says, holding only one person. They did not bring the sick in chariots or on carts, but on humble pallets. But Jesus' love, our love, is for the unimpressive. The poverty of the people is reflected in the means of healing for them. They touched his garment. They offered nothing to Jesus. No cash was exchanged. No hospitality was proffered. No exam was passed. They only touched his garment. An act of faith, but also an act of poverty. They had witnessed the miracles of Jesus previously in this region. They had heard of the the woman who had touched the hem of Jesus' garment and was healed. They knew about the tassels attached to the hem of garments, uh, which uh, those who who were committed to the laws of God uh, uh, wore, according to Numbers chapter 15. Here is this people in poverty with nothing 
to offer Jesus, unexpectedly finding him among them. And he reaches out his love to the unimpressive. When meeting someone for the first time on the glider at a wedding in the surgery and engaging in conversation with them, when we find out that they're working class, do we lose interest in them? Do we try to close down the conversation? If they're upper class, do we linger? Do we prolong the conversation? Do we delight in their presence? Discipleship love is for the unimpressive. What an insight to saving faith this account and paragraph is. We too have nothing to offer. Jesus Christ has everything that we need. The, the last verse it makes this point. As many as touched his hem were made well. This was open to, to all who, who, who were able to, to, to reach out and, and touch the garment of Jesus. Everyone, all of them, everyone who did that, but everyone who did do it. There was no other way of healing, no other way of making them whole than reaching out and touching the Son of God's garments. So we, who are unworthy, who are poor, who cannot merit our salvation, are offered salvation through Jesus Christ alone by believing in him. By this interpersonal relation and commitment to Jesus, the Son of God, offering him nothing, but with the empty hand of faith, receiving the Savior freely offered to us in the gospel. And our love, like his, should be for the unimpressive. To show unto those who can offer us nothing, who cannot return our kindness, who will be takers and not givers, who will never invite us to their home or put our name forwards for anything. They will be grateful for our kindness, but will co contribute nothing to our careers. But we are called to show love to the unimpressive because that's what Jesus did here and what he did on the cross. I'm sure all of us here, many of us here, recognize the love and sacrifice of Jesus for sinners. Who is the people whom he died for? Who are the people whom he died for? The Apostle Paul assures us it is not those who in this world are wise or, or noble or powerful or mighty. James assures us that God has chosen the poor of this world who are rich in faith. The church of Christ is made up predominantly of unimpressive people. As disciples of Jesus, we are called to show love to the unimpressive, to those who are skint to those who wear threadbare clothes, to those who live in the deprived areas of our town, to love the unimpressive because that is what God has done for us. Our love 
is for the unexpecting. Our discipleship love is for the unimpressive. But thirdly, our love is for the unresponsive. And perhaps this is taking our love to new heights, places, and directions that we are uncomfortable or unfamiliar in going. Our love is for the unresponsive. This people only wanted the healing of Jesus, but not the teaching of Jesus, not the ethics of Jesus, not the salvation of Jesus. Unlike other healing stories in Mark's gospel, this one contains no teaching of Jesus, no dialogue with the ill, indeed no word from Jesus at all. The emphasis is on people thronging to Jesus, longing for Jesus to heal them. But there's no interest, no desire in hearing his salvation. William Lane comments on this, the absence of any reference to preaching or teaching activity is significant. The people are not prepared for Jesus' proclamation of the gospel Jesus patiently bears with their limited insights and graciously heals those who reach out to him from their bed of affliction. Despite their lack of spiritual concern, Jesus loved this people of Gennesaret and relieved their physical pain and needs. Not only is his love for the unimpressive and the unexpecting, his love is also for the unresponsive. The end of this paragraph, it makes this point. It leaves a challenge for them and for us and for all. As many as touched it were made whole. The last word, as we've seen already in our studies, can either mean healed or saved. James Edwards writes, the compassion of Jesus has fed, satisfied, healed the crowds, but the blessings of his compassion raise the ultimate question whether those who experience them will enter further into Jesus' saving purpose. They were made whole, yes, on the basic level, on the physical level, he has saved them in that sense, but the question is left hanging, the challenge is given, will they move to salvation in the higher sense? Will they be made whole by the saving power and blood of Jesus? He recognizes, the writer, the superficial interest of the people of Gennesaret, but challenges them to seek that higher salvation and healing which Jesus Christ gives. We can all think of people who have misused Jesus' church. They want membership, they want marriage, they want baptism, but they don't want involvement or commitment to a congregation. They're peripheral at best. But our love is to be even for such people. We long for them to be different. We long to have a higher interest in Jesus and his word and his people. But Jesus' love is for the unresponsive. And there's two levels or types of application from this point for us, isn't there? One is don't be a taker. 
and not a giver. One commentator teases this out at a whole range of levels. He applies it, first of all, to teenagers who who live at home. He says their homes are being there regarded as catering for their comfort and their convenience. They eat there, they sleep there, they get things done for them. But what do they contribute to the home? They're takers, but not givers. He applies it to friends. Some people, he says, we never hear from them unless they want something from us. They're takers, but not givers. He applies it to the church. Some people use the church for their wedding, their baptism, their funeral, but are seldom in the worship services. He applies it to some in their relation to God. They only ever pray when they need something, when they want something from God. After he goes to town and all of these range of, of people, he concludes, if we examine our hearts, we are all to some extent guilty of these things. We too, in some levels and in some ways, are unresponsive to the love, the grace, the mercy of Jesus. The second application is that we too are to love the unresponsive. The person who uses church but doesn't often attend, the neighbor who receives our kindness but has no interest in salvation, the person who prays to God for healing but never attends church. We're to show them love, to help them in any way that we can, hoping that such kindness Such appreciation of this horizontal mercy and grace will will lead them to seek that higher vertical desire for Christ's grace, love, and salvation. Christian discipleship and love for the unexpecting, for the unimpressive, for the unresponsive. We conclude our studies by reflecting on these chapters on Christian discipleship and Jesus and rejection and mission and sacrifice and development and trial and love. And let us have the desire that that like the disciples here, we too will grow as we have lived through these aspects of discipleship, that they will impact us as we think of the active aspects of discipleship and the passive aspects of discipleship. That in the passive aspects of discipleship, rejection, trial, sacrifice, when they come to our life, we will grow through those. And the active aspects of discipleship that we've thought of, mission, development, love, that we will grow and develop as disciples of Jesus. In his piece, uh, Hugh Binning speaks uh, about this development uh, within the context of love, that not only do we have the pattern of love in Jesus, but we have the motive to love from the love of Jesus for us. 
Not only has he modeled love in his ministry and life, but but he has loved us. And and that is something higher, something personal, a, a greater force and driver in us, following him and living for him. But maybe you're not yet a disciple of Jesus. Recognize that Jesus' goodness to you in many ways is to lead you to that higher reception of his spiritual grace. To know him not only as the giver, but as the saviour. I filled up my car in Cumber a few days ago. And one of the children uh, asked me when I sat down again in the car, uh, what what, what about this pump that they have here? Uh, Could people not just drive off? Uh, It's one that you operate yourself. Uh, And as you all know, you explain uh, to to, to, to the, the younger person, well, you've got to be a giver before you're a taker. You've got to put your card in and punch the number in and press the amount. You've got to give out your bank account before you can take the nozzle and, 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 and put the petrol in your car. You've got to be a giver before you're a taker. But the gospel's the absolute opposite. We're a taker. We take the free grace of Jesus Christ. This love that was unexpected in Gennesaret, this is our saviour. He turns up in our life. We never asked him to. And his sovereignty, his abounding mercy is there. He's with us. He's here tonight. He's speaking to us. This is Jesus offering us heaven, eternal life, his infinite grace. And we are to be a taker. And then, out of gratitude to him, we're to be a giver. To give him and others our love, our obedience, our honor, our praise, our life. Let us, who are takers, also be givers.